getting up. Okay, one-hit wonder. What's a one-hit wonder? For those of you who don't know, it's a person or an act known mainly for a single success, basically like a band that had one big hit, and then you never heard from them again, you know, kind of thing. One-hit wonder. There's some that, that did real well, but just had that one hit. In the Bible, there are five books that are one chapter. So kind of five one-hit wonders, if you will. And uh, that there's this, this one little chapter, kind of one little theme, you know, like most of the books, you know, they've got several chapters, I mean, they're, they're pretty big, you know, and you can say, man, it talks about all these things. These mostly have like one theme that they get you with and, and, and they just kind of hammer away at just in that one little chapter. And so today we're going to look at one of those, we're going to look at Philemon. Philemon is a, is a one-hit wonder. We have one little chapter. This was a, an actually a letter written by Paul, okay? There's, there's three men really involved here. By Paul to Philemon, that's why it's called the book of Philemon, about Onesimus, okay? It's kind of like, you know, uh, to Philemon from Paul, R-E colon Onesimus, you know? It's about Onesimus, Okay. And I've heard lots and lots of sermons on this. I, I, I've read lots of, and uh, also teachings on this, you know, lessons and classes on this. And, you know, I've, I've heard the lessons on, and the sermons on, on uh, Philemon, you know, and how he had to accept, he had to receive, he had to forgive, and, and what he was being required to do. And, and I've also heard them on Onesimus, about Onesimus was a man who standed in need of grace and about how it shows us the grace of God and how God overlooks, how God gives us a second chance. But this week, um, this week's sermon, God, God kind of took me a different direction of this because what I see when I read here is, yeah, it's, it's to Philemon, it's concerning Onesimus, but it's also about Paul. It's about this man that, that we, we really get a picture of, of who Paul is in, in a lot of ways here. Paul was a world changer, okay, world changer. And I want to say world changer, especially in Christian terms. You, you probably think of people like Billy Graham that preached, preaches to ten th tens of thousands of people, you know, in, in a stadium somewhere. And so I think when we think of Paul as a world changer, we think of him doing that also. He didn't preach to tens of thousands. As far as we know, he, he never preached to a thousand as far as we know. That, that's not how he did what God called him to do. Yet, what did God call him to do? And what did he do? He wrote about half of the New Testament. He planted most every one of the churches that we know about in that early time. As a matter of fact, he probably did more to, to, to spread the gospel. As far as the history of what we can read, he did more to spread the gospel than any other single individual, even those 12 apostles that Jesus had with him, less Judas, plus you know, his, his replacement there. Another story, if you, if you want to hear it, ask me, and I'll explain it to you later. But he probably did more of this, and he didn't do it in these big, huge realms. He did it another way. Okay, here's what I'm going to assume, okay? I'm going to assume this morning you want to change the world. As a child of God, you ought to want to change the world. And I'm going to assume if you don't want to change the world, you'll go to sleep for the next 25 minutes and we'll wake you up when it's time to close, okay? So I'm going to preach to you as if this morning you want to change the world because that's what I believe about you. You really would like to change the world, but you just don't know how. It's just too big or it's just too much. 
That's what I want to share with you because I see a picture of a man who changed the world, but not the way we sometimes think. Okay, so here, here's a few things about it. And the first thing is, is that Paul understood you first have to identify with those you want to impact, okay? So if you want to change the world and you're, you're specifically thinking about a, a certain group of people or people around you, first thing you've got to do is you need to understand you have to identify with them. Paul did a very good job of this. In the first three verses, it's kind of his salutation. This is the letter, he, you know, kind of he's writing a letter. He says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I'll explain the underline there in a minute, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and he doesn't say what the R-E is just yet, but it's going to be about Onesimus, I can tell you this. Okay, so here's the salutation, and here, this is kind of how Paul opens just about every one of his books. There's one big difference, and it's that word right there that I've got underlined. In every other book, when Paul is introduced and say, this is Paul writing this to you, being led of God, this is Paul writing this to you, he calls himself either a servant or an apostle, or most of the places he calls himself both, servant and an apostle. And even Philemon it lives in Colossae, was probably a member of the church at Colossae. Uh, and the letter that was written to that church is called Colossians. The book that we have in the Bible called Colossians was written to that church. Even in that one, he calls himself a servant and an apostle. Okay, so writing to Philemon here, he's, he's written a letter also to Philemon's church. He calls himself a servant apostle. But writing, in, writing to Philemon, he calls himself a prisoner. And the only time he calls himself anything besides a servant or a, uh, uh, an apostle in the salutation of opening his letter and his writings. The reason is because he wants to identify with Onesimus. You'll see about him in just a few minutes. We'll introduce you to him. You'll, you'll understand who he is. Onesimus is a slave. Onesimus is a runaway slave. Onesimus is a slave who ran away and before he ran away stole something from, uh, from the man that owned him. And so what Paul is doing is Paul is identifying with the slave. He's, he's saying, look, I'm just a prisoner. Now he's talking to Philemon, but he said, hey, Philemon, you know, I know Onesimus is a slave, but hey, I'm just a prisoner. I'm in jail for preaching the gospel. I'm just a prisoner. I know he's a slave. It's, it's subliminal here, but Paul is identifying himself with the slave. Paul wrote also in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and I noticed in the first service we've got that reference wrong so ignore the reference at the bottom it's first corinthians chapter 9 for though i am free from all men i have made myself a slave to all so that i may win more he says to the jews i became as a jew so that i might win jews what he's saying here now paul was a jew but he said when i was speaking when i speak to jews he said he said i let my judaism show i let them know man i'm a jew just like you so that I can win some. And to those who are under the law, as under the law, though not myself being under the law. And so he said, I was raised under the law. So those who know the law, he said, I use that to connect with them. Even though I'm not under the law anymore. And he says, and those who were without the law are those who didn't understand the law. You know, I also did that to those who were without the law, as without the law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may uh, win those who are with who are without the law. Now that's kind of confusing there to read that fast and the, the, the description there. But what he's saying is, and even those who don't have the law, unchurched, people that don't know, I mean, that's, that's what he's really talking about. He said, I became as one of them too. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men so that I may by all means save some. He said, I've not, he said I am attempting to identify with everyone I can so that I may win a few of them. 
It, it is important for us to identify because what the world sees us do, and, and, and listen, I grew up in the church, so I'm not unchurched. You know, I, I grew up in the church. I've watched, I've seen, and what, what this world has seen us do is, is separate ourselves from them because, you know, that's what we're supposed to be. We're, you know, the Word of God says we're supposed to separate from the world. But we need, to, we need to get the understanding here of what God really means by that. He doesn't mean not have anything to do with the world because the number one reason most of us can't reach the unchurched is we don't know any unchurched people. You know, we don't know any. We don't spend time with them. You know, our life is, is all about, you know, the Sunday morning and just the few people we hang out with. Yeah, we work with them, but, you know, we, we go to school with them, but we really don't talk to them a whole lot. You know, it, it's kind of like me and the first time I ever saw marijuana. I was in the fifth grade, first time I ever saw somebody smoking marijuana, cigarette, joint. And my mom had me so scared of marijuana. When I saw it, I started backing away and wanted to run the other direction because I thought that marijuana cigarette could just jump over here on me and just take me down. I was scared to death of it. And you know, that's the way we sometimes approach sin. We see sin in other people and we want to run the other way and say, oh, I can't let that get on me. But distance is not what protects you from sin. It is the power of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit that protects you. And so wrap yourselves up in that because there's no way for us to touch this world without identifying with them. We need them to understand what we already know. We say it, but does it really come through in our actions? That we're no different from them, except for grace. We're just sinners saved by grace. We're not better, and boy, God's really been working on me lately about, about this attitude sometimes that we have. By, you know, we, could, you know, we work really hard and become holy and holy and all these and, and more good things that happen and everything. And, and man, there's so much about that that's about our works, and it's not about him. And this whole thing is about him. Who you are today is about him. Who you are today is about the blood of Jesus that washed away your sin. Who you are today is about the grace and the mercy that was shed on your heart. And so we have to identify with it and let them know, hey, yeah, there but by the grace of God, go out or say that another way. If it weren't for the grace of God, I'd be right where those people are. And they need to understand, we identify with that. We don't, you know, we didn't get saved and all our problems go away. Did you, did that happen to you? Because I need to know about that because that's not the salvation I got. You know, all my problems did not go away. I still got bills to pay. Anybody? Amen. Can I get, get a little witness here? Yeah. And sometimes I get one that I forgot about or like a doctor's bill, you know, that, that I didn't know wasn't paid. And I, I'm like, oh man, how do I pay? The, you, you, anybody else, else ever have something like this? All my problems didn't go away. I can identify with what the world is dealing with. And if we're not careful, we can put across a persona that, that we don't have any problems and we're not like them and we don't struggle with them. But the thing they need to see is yes, we struggle and yes, we have problems and yes, we make mistakes. But because of the power of God and the grace and the love of Christ that's shed in our heart, that's why we can still have a smile on our face. That's why we can, we can, still, we can, we can still have victory. That's why we're still able to make it. And that smile on the face thing. Uh, let me address that a little bit. Let's read the next uh, four verses. Or, uh, uh, yeah, four verses, four through seven. I always thank my God. Okay, now he's writing to Philemon here, and he's 
He's going to lay it on pretty thick right here. Just listen. I always thank my God as I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers. Because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us is in the faith, uh, uh, with us in the faith, may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy, Philemon, and encouragement because you, Brother Philemon, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. He's about to ask Philemon for something really big, isn't he? I mean, he is buttering him up really, really big. Get this. Real quick point right here. You're not going to reach anybody with a bad, sour, sorry, pessimistic attitude. Nobody wants to come to Christ if that's what Christ is. So get rid of that. My goodness, if you don't have a smile on your face, Paul said, I'd be of all men most miserable. I think some of us have forgotten what it is that we're happy about. We're happy that, like we just say, we're set free. The, the, the chains, do you remember the chains of sin that drug you down daily and daily and daily? We're set free from that. Now, sometimes we wrap ourselves back up in them and we have to go back to God, okay, and say, deliver us again, oh God. We're set free from that. I mean, come on, put a smile on your face and understand if you're going to impact the world, you want to be a world changer, right? That's my assumption this morning. Then you need to get a smile on your face and let this world know, hey, there is something better than you're living in right now. Okay, that was quick. Now, now on to the next point, and it is this. Is that Paul knew how to eat an elephant. Do you know how to eat an elephant? Anybody? You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. That's right. You can't eat an elephant all at once. You eat it one bite at a time. Paul understood that. He understood that. Uh, let's go ahead and read. We're going to read quite a few verses of Scripture right here to lay out a couple things I want to share with you in the next few minutes. It's verse 8 through 16. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you, Philemon, I could order you to do something, Philemon. I, and I like how Paul, he said, you know, he's, he's laying it all out here. I could order you to do this, but yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love, Philemon. It's none other than Paul. An old man and now a prisoner, also a prisoner of Christ Jesus that I appeal to you. He says, uh, he says nobody's right. This is me. And I'm not coming to you as something, anything except who I am. I'm just Paul, an old man who is now in prison for preaching Jesus Christ. And it is Paul, just as Paul, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. He, obviously, Onesimus came to know Jesus Christ under the ministry of Paul, while Paul was actually in prison or, or under house arrest, because we know he was under house arrest too. Uh, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. And I am now sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, and he's my very heart, Philemon. Oh, he's still laying it on heavy, isn't it? Isn't he? I would have liked to keep uh, Onesimus with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. He's saying, uh, Philemon, you're not here to help me. And I'd like to keep Onesimus because Onesimus could really help me. But Philemon, you're not here and he could help me. But, you know, i got to send him back to you because you didn't give me permission to hang on to him. That's what he's going to say here. I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced but would be voluntarily. Perhaps the reason Onesimus was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, Philemon, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, some people have a problem with this passage of Scripture because it talks about slavery 
And Paul doesn't launch into a sermon against slavery. That men should not own other men. All men are equal. And some people have a problem with that. Paul, Paul should have condemned slavery right here. But understand this. Paul was not called to end slavery in the Roman Empire. Just today in the life of Onesimus. You see, and, and we can, you know, and I'm not saying we shouldn't uh, try to change laws and try to impact politics and, and, and Washington, but we can do that. We can change all kinds of laws, but that doesn't change the heart of man. You can change the law and force me to do something this week. You, you can make a law that makes me do something good this week, but it doesn't change the heart of who I am. And I'm only doing it because it's the law. And Paul was not called to change the laws. Paul was called to change the hearts of men. And, 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 and he knew the only way to really do that is, is he didn't do it 10,000. He did it one at a time. Just one at a time. And here he takes Onesimus and man, he's pouring it on here. And he works hard to, to just change the world of Onesimus. Not the world of everybody. Not yet. Just, just, just one at a time. Consider world hunger. There are people who they feel like it's their life's calling to end world hunger before they die. And they are, man, they're digging wells. They're, they're finding ways to, to raise crops in places that hadn't ever had crops, or at least in, in our lifetime. And they feel called to do this. And, and those people, but there are very few of them, and those people, it's important that they continue to do because down the road that's going to pay tremendous dividends. But what about the people that are hungry today? Even though there are people that are called to do that for their life's calling, there's a greater need for more of us to end hunger one person at a time. One man, one woman, one child, one meal, maybe even one bite at a time. You know, we all want to end world hunger, but you can change the world of one. And sometimes it, it appears like we're not changing anything. It's like, I, I think I need to, and I'm just not making that big of an impact, but think about that one, that one little child that you buy a pair of shoes for. Now, did you see that picture of, of, of the baby in the mom's hands? And the baby only had on a t-shirt and a diaper? He said, well, well it's probably summer. Mom had on a sweater. That tells me mom was a little cool and the baby only had a t-shirt and a diaper on. You know what would happen? If you buy a pair of shoes for that little baby, you change the world for that baby and for that mom today too. We sometimes look so far away that we don't see the opportunity right in front of us and just one little pair of shoes changes the world for a kid that doesn't have shoes. One meal changes the world for a kid that doesn't have a meal. One, uh, one bed in an orphanage changes the world for a kid that doesn't have a home. And so so don't, don't lessen your impact by imagining that, that things are bigger than you can ever. You can change the world of somebody. You can change the world of somebody. Um, there's, let me go to this next slide. And this slide doesn't have my point up here because it's kind of cliche and I almost hated to use it, but, but, but I need to use it. You need to see this. Verse 17, 18, 19 says, so if you consider me a partner, Onesimus, uh, if you consider me a partner, welcome Onesimus back as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. If he's done you wrong, put it on me. 
And if he stole anything from you, it appears that, and with other writings and other historical writings, that he did steal from his master before he left. If he owes you anything, lay it to my charge. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. He's saying, me and Timothy are writing this to you. But right now, I want you to know, this is me pinning this. This is my handwriting. I am writing this out. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Again, he's calling in his chits, isn't he? He's, he's getting his brownie points. He said, wait a minute, don't forget, Philemon. You owe me, buddy, and I'm calling him in. I'm calling him in. Why would he do that? For Onesimus, a man who is a slave. He's a nobody. I mean, you know, he's a nobody. That's the way they looked at him. He was, he was a piece of property. He was not even a full man or a citizen. He's just a piece of property. Why would Paul do something like this? Why would he use all of these brownie points that he has with Philemon? I mean, he's just using them all. He said, don't forget you owe me this. I mean, you know, Philemon, he could look back and say, you know, uh, man, I've, I've paid Paul back for everything if I do this one little thing. Why would Paul use all of that for this? Why? Because of what God had already done for Paul. There was a movie a few years ago, that's what I mentioned just, just a couple of minutes ago, called Pay It Forward. You remember that? Pay It Forward. God invented pay it forward. And he says, because of what I have done in you, now you go do for somebody else. That's what Paul's doing. Paul is the example to us. And every day that we wake up and we say, man, I wish I could do something for God, here's what you can do. Change someone's world today. Just one person's world. And you may think you're just changing a piece of it and five seconds of it or five minutes of it. But you're changing their world. You know, uh, the cards that we, we, we pass out, they're out there. I went and made sure they were out there today. Is the, 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 uh, you've just been touched cards. You know the touched cards? You know, where you, you know, maybe you're driving through the drive-thru and you're buying your biscuit and you just feel impressed. You kind of look in the rearview mirror and you see, you see somebody behind you, you just kind of feel impressed. I think I'm going to buy their breakfast this morning. You buy their breakfast and you hand, hand the card to the, the little lady. So you just drive away and they get that card and they look at that. And, and we've had the testimonies and reports from people that, you know, just cry and say, you don't know how rough a day I've been having. And that really, that really touched me that day. It changed my world that day. Pay it forward because God has given it to you. And why has he given it to you? He's given it to you to give to somebody else. Why, does it, why is it that he says, uh, why is it that he says, you know, as David says, my cup runs over? Why, why does God give us more than we need? Why does God pour into our laps, you know, dump into our laps as he said he would do? Why does he open the windows of heaven to pour out blessings such that we cannot receive and contain and, and hold on? Why? Because he gives us more than we need so that we've got something to share with someone else. So that we've got something left to pay forward. He gives me more than I need. Not so I can store it, but so I can share it. He gives me more blessings than I need. More love than I need. More more joy than I need. He gives me more and more than I need. Lastly, last point. Don't get excited. This is a long one. (laughs) Embrace response. I'm sorry. Embrace reconciliation. Embrace reconciliation. Paul understood this because he wrote about it in another place. And this was also to a letter to the Corinthians. Embrace reconciliation because this is the ministry that he has left us. Uh, let's read uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18, 19. Everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God brought us back to him through Jesus Christ. Okay? That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. 
What I'm going to say in just a few minutes, you need to understand this relates to what I'm about to say in just a few minutes. That God is not counting our trespasses against us, but reconciling us back to himself. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. And we've blown it. I grew up in the church, so I tell you, we've blown it. We thought that said he's committed the ministry of condemnation to us. Because you know, we've been preaching turn and burn, man. If you don't turn, you're going to burn. We've been telling people how bad their sin is. Man, if you don't straighten this out, ain't nothing ever going to work out for you. You're always, and you're going to end up in hell one day. I mean, that's been our message. And that's not what God, you know what? We need to also learn, memorize John 3, 17. You know it? Everybody knows 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The ministry is reconciliation. It's not fear and damnation and hellfire and brimstone. That's not the message. No, it's there. But the message is reconciliation. God doesn't want to kill anybody. It's not his will. The word of God says it's not his will that anyone should perish, but that everyone comes to repentance. You know, how in the world, think about this for just a minute. How in the world does Paul talk a slave into going back into slavery? Onesimus is over a thousand miles away from Colossae. He's probably in Rome, you know, because Paul is in chains. He's in prison. He's, he's in Rome, over a thousand miles away. He has made the break. He is away, and he, he somehow comes in contact with Paul. I don't know if he looked him up because he remembered seeing Paul around his master's church or whatever, but somehow he gets, connect, he gets connected there, he gets saved, and now Paul says, you got to go back now. you got to make things right. Now, that's all good and well, but how do you talk a man into going back into slavery? Now, Paul is making the case here of, like, look, look, let God bring him back to you as a brother, not a slave. But he doesn't know, Onesimus doesn't know that's what's going to happen. He doesn't know that. How do you talk a man into going back into slavery? Well, have you been reading this? Look at what he's done. He's saying, Onesimus, I'm setting this up for you. I'm going to set this up where it's going to be easy. It's going to be taken care of. And Paul is able to persuade Onesimus. Three things. He's able to persuade him. Philemon is not going to be mad at you anymore after he reads this letter. He is not going to hold anything against you. All the stuff that you're leaving him, running away, and all he's not going to hold that against you. He's not even going to make you repay the debt that you owe him. Why? Because Paul says, read this. And that's what say, this says, and I'm telling him, because of what I've already done for you, Philip, and you've got to forgive him, and you've got to not be angry at him anymore, and don't even make him pay you back because he doesn't have the money anymore. He doesn't have it. But because I've already paid for this, Philemon, you've got to forgive him. And that's how Paul persuades a slave to go back and get a new, fresh beginning. Get this. It's reconciliation. It's not condemnation. The, the way we turn people to God is not condemnation, but reconciliation. You know what they need to hear? They need to hear that. This world thinks God's angry at them, or at least the, the God that you and I serve and we tell them about. We've made them believe that God is angry about them. They need to hear. God is not angry with you. Here, here, here's, here's your good argument there. 
Why would God take his own son and sacrifice him for people he was angry at? God took all the wrath that he had on me and you. He took all that wrath that he had for what we would do way back 2,000 years ago. He took all that wrath and he put it on his son. Not because he was angry with us. That wouldn't make sense because he loves us and he wants to reconcile us. They need to hear that. They need to hear God is not angry with you. One of the best ways for them to hear that is to see it on your face. See it in your actions. They need to hear God is not angry with you. He holds nothing against you. You cannot pay for the sin that you have committed because Jesus already has. He's paid for the sin. Whatever's been between you and God, he's got it taken care of. It's gone. And the anger, the wrath, he took on himself. And he killed it, crucified it at Calvary. They need to hear that. That's the way you'll change the world. I'm assuming you want to be a world changer. That's the way you will change the world. I didn't see anybody sleeping, so I assume you all want to change the world. <laughs> then let's change it. Change it. You've been, gi- you've been given all the tools. First one is, you know, small. First one is, you know, turn everything around in your life so people see how, you know, identify with them. Smile. In just a few moments, we're going to sing a song. Don't, I, don't start singing ever when we come down until you really finish praying. Make sure you, you finish your prayer. But when we sing this song, it's talking about, yeah, all this. Yes, God, because of this. Uh, then I stand here with arms high and heart abandoned and all the one who gave it all. And remember, and because of that, then I've got something to share. And, and notice we didn't have applications for missionary work sitting out there on, on the chairs we had little things for you to order a couple of boxes of donuts to put some shoes on a kid's feet. You want to get, get a double whammy out of that? Order two boxes of donuts, four, six, whatever you want to order. Order two boxes of donuts. That'll, that'll pay for shoes for a kid in Romania. And then next week when the donuts are here, take those two boxes to your next door neighbors. And, and so, then you get the opportunity to say, hey, and they say, well, let me pay for it. Say, no, 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 this is what it was for. And then you get to tell them, and they get to see the, the love of God through your heart. Not just to them, but all the way to Romania, too. Double whammy with that. That's a, that's a great one. I appreciate the missions team for coming up with that one. But just before we have a word of prayer, just before you commit yourself to being a world changer, starting this week, turning those frowns upside down to be smiles and all, those, all the stuff that God spoke to you here and is going to speak to you this week, and every opportunity that you get, you say, I, I, let me just find a way. Before we do that, let me say one thing. Some of you needed to see that right there. God spoke this to me. I I had this message prepared, and God spoke this to me yesterday. Some of you need to see that right there. God is not angry with you. I grew up in the church. We have allowed a spirit of condemnation, heaviness, conviction, some call it guilt, to stay on us. He is no longer angry with you. He gave his son for you. No matter how bad it has been, no matter how bad you have been, he's not angry with you. He's over it. You need to get over it. Accept his loving grace. I think one of the reasons they can't see his loving grace is because they don't see it on us. Let them see the grace. I'm not a better person than you are. I'm a person under grace. 
accept it for yourself. Because you really can't share grace until you accept it for yourself. He's not angry with you anymore. Don't be condemned. He's come to reconcile you. Bow with me. Jamie, go ahead when you can. God, I pray right now.